good morning. It's, it's so good to be with you this morning. My name is Brian. I'm on staff here at Highland Park and uh, looking forward to getting to, to begin this sermon series. Um, and what we're going to do every Sunday is we're going to look at one of the minor prophets and pair that with one of the stories of the Christmas story. And when we talk about minor prophets, we're not talking about prophets that were less important. I imagine if they were called minor prophets, they would have been offended if they would have heard that. But we're just talking about the prophets. The books are a little bit shorter than the major prophets. And so because they're a little harder to find, I'll go ahead and tell you where we're going to be so you can be finding it. But turn to the book of Hosea. It comes right after Daniel. And that'll give you a couple moments to kind of be looking through to find that. That's going to be the minor prophet we study. Then we're going to be in the book of Luke a little bit later from the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third Gospel for us. And so we're looking at kind of pairing these things together and talking about um, how do they tell us and teach us and let us experience what Christ meant for Christmas. And today I want to talk about this word anticipation. And I, I wonder, what do you most anticipate about Christmas? If we were just to let people begin answering that, some of you would talk about, you know, being with family or uh, if we had the kids up here, we all know what they would say, you know, opening some presents, and some of you might say the food or the time off of work, or maybe you have a special tradition in your house. We would anticipate a lot of things, and as I was thinking about stories of anticipation, I began thinking about stories of struggle, because where we see anticipation often shine the brightest is in the midst of struggle. I, I recently read the autobiography of Frederick Douglass, who was born a slave and uh, ended up escaping to freedom and became this, just this profound voice of wisdom uh, for our country, somebody who loved the Lord. But Douglas, in the autobiography, d- details times when uh, he was a little boy. He was ripped apart from his family, not to be with his family again, and the trauma of that. And he talked about it at times being so cold at night and not being provided a bed or even a blanket that he would crawl into a potato sack to try to stay warm, just shivering. And uh, he talks about later as a teenager uh, having a master who every week gave him the lash, just tearing the skin off of his back every single week. Not a week went by without that trauma. And all through that time, the more he began to read, which he wasn't allowed to do, but he still began to read and He began to anticipate the day of his freedom. He did not know how that would come, but he began to hope for freedom. I've also read the biography of Louis Zamperini. Maybe you've seen the movie or read read the book Unbroken, uh, which is spectacular. Uh, He was uh, 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 in a plane that was shot down over World War II in the Pacific, and he ended up in a life raft with two other guys, trying to survive for 47 days under the blazing sun and trying to escape the sharks from below and some planes above. And the, the, whole, the whole book shows first these 47 terrible days and then they get rescued except they don't because he ends up in the hands of this brutal uh, soldier who was part of the Japanese military who just tortured him for two years. And during that time, you're like, how could somebody hang on And I've got to think that somewhere deep within his soul was this anticipation of freedom, this hope of being rescued. And when you read stories of Holocaust survivors, you find the ones who did not survive, and and there was many who did not, but, but some of those who did not survive, you knew they would not survive the moment they lost hope, when they lost anticipation. 
And so this word anticipation means a lot to the person who's suffering, to the person in crisis, to the person with tears. And so with it's that backdrop that we come to the book of Hosea, and we're going to begin in chapter 1 in here in just a moment. But just to tell you a little bit about the, the book of Hosea, is uh, Hosea was a prophet of God. He lived in Israel when Israel was a divided kingdom. And they were often fighting each other, and they were often fighting outside forces as well. It's around 800 B.C., and the, this book is the longest of the minor prophets. And this morning, just what if we could learn from Hosea and from the Christmas story of how do we anticipate that something better is coming? How do we anticipate that I can get by today and this week and this month and this year? How can I survive this life and actually live in this life, the life that God has called me to? God often uses the metaphor of a husband and bride when he talks about his relationship. And in the book of Hosea, God is married to Israel. And God is having problems with his bride guess who's at fault? It's not God. (laughs) It's the bride. And that's what we see through scripture in this metaphor, that God loves his people and cares for his people, but it's the people who often betray him. And so when we get to Hosea, we see the story of a, a problem marriage because the bride is walking away and God wants to demonstrate that to his people. And so he asked Hosea to do the most unimaginable thing. I mean, it's unbelievable. So Hosea chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, and you'll see what I'm talking about. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Did you catch that? Go, Marry a prostitute or a promiscuous woman. Go marry an unfaithful one. It's the opposite advice that anybody would ever give their son or their daughter. But he's told to go out and marry. And Hosea, this is remarkable, obeys. He obeys God. And so he goes out and he marries someone named Gomer. Not that Gomer. (laughs) A different, not the Gomer from Andy Griffith. Different Gomer. And Gomer's father's name is to blame, which actually means compressed fig cakes. So he's married to someone named Gomer, whose father is a fig newton of some type. It's as bad as it gets. Actually, later on in the book of Hosea, um, he, God tells the, the people to quit praising Baal for the raisin cakes. Because they thought that Baal was providing these fig newtons for them that were sweet and tasty. And so they would worship this false god in order to get this sweet dessert. Imagine worshiping something so stupid as a fig cake. We would never worship something stupid, would we? And then we think about what are the things we care for that we most anticipate. Because the moment you anticipate something more than God is the moment you worship it. What do, we, what do we anticipate? Oftentimes, we begin to anticipate, we care about so much, a pay raise or a good reputation or our children excelling at something or who gets in the, the college football playoff and we anticipate and becomes a god. 
We anticipate uh, someone making us look good or being recognized by others. And the moment we anticipate something more than God is the moment we're guilty of idolatry, of worshiping something above our creator. And during this Christmas season of all times, my friends, check yourself. What do you anticipate? What are you hoping for? So Hosea goes out and he marries this adulteress. And Hosea knows she's not going to be faithful. She's going to be a terrible mom. She's going to break my heart. She's going to disappoint me. She's going to reject me. And God is telling me to go and to love. How vulnerable is that kind of love? And he does, and he goes, and he says, I love you, Gomer, one who will be unfaithful to me. And the surely doomed marriage produces three children. Listen to these names. Number one is Jezreel, which means vengeance, because God says vengeance will come to those who disobey. It's almost like naming your twins the Twin Towers. It's like, you wouldn't name your kids that? Or Pearl Harbor. No, you you don't name your kids something that brings up those bad memories of something going so south, so tragic. And yet that's the name of the firstborn because God is saying this is what's coming. The second is named Lo Ruhama, which means not loved. How's that for your self-esteem? The third is Lo Ami, which means not my people or not mine. It's only getting worse. So we got the three kids, vengeance, not loved, and not mine, running around. And Gomer returns to her old ways. She leaves Hosea, and she's sleeping around, and she's being unfaithful. And Hosea, in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, She is not my wife anymore. I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her her face. Those are words out of pain. She's not mine anymore. She's brokenhearted. Some of you have felt the brokenhearted uh, spirit of someone who's been betrayed and let down. And, and you know what she says? She says, fine, I'll leave. You mean nothing to me anyway. My lovers take better care of me than you do. So out of spite, she yells this back and Gomer leaves. And the metaphor is real. See, God's people sin against him. The rich hoard their wealth, the rulers cheat the citizens, the people cheat on God, abandoning abandoning their covenant, intimate, special relationship with him. And so against the backdrop of Israel's sins, and if we were to study the whole chapter, we see those sins listed out in chapters 4 through 10. It's a big list of the sins. Chapters 12, chapter 13. And yet, with all of those sins, which so much are about how you treat the vulnerable and the oppressed and how you're disobedient and you turn your back to God and you turn your back on people. And yet in the midst of all of that, in the book of Hosea, we see what I'll call this stubborn love of God for his people. In chapter 11, it says, God led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. Chapter 11, verse 8, God says, My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm And tender. By the way, you realize who you are in the story, right? You're not Hosea. We like to always paint ourselves like the hero in the story. 
we're Gomer in the story. Because we've turned our back on God. We, at some point in our lives, maybe even this morning, we've walked away from the Lord. We've done our own thing. We've anticipated something else, someone else above God. We are Gomer. And you got to realize that we can anticipate one thing, that God still wants us to return to him. We anticipate that God still cares for us, even in our sin. That he has not left us. We may have left him, but he's still with his arms open wide for his people. And so Hosea goes and he does the unthinkable. He finds his cheating, unfaithful wife. And she now has been purchased by someone else. And there's lots of theories about exactly what that means. But if you think in the terms of prostitution, you kind of know what that means, I think. And however it is, Hosea goes and he purchases her back. It's like, I got to buy what should already be mine? Okay, because I love her that much and because God loves you that much and Hosea pays for her what would be the equivalent of 30 pieces of silver, that rings a bell, to bring her back so she can be restored. And all Gomer really needs is one thing for their marriage to be restored. Just one word, humility. It's the humility of saying, I've blown it, I'm sorry, and I will accept your goodness. I will accept your grace. I will accept your love. And so many times in life, it's the lack of humility that keeps us separated from God. And that, we're, that we won't allow God's grace to come back in. We say, no, I've sinned too much. Or no, I've, I'm too far down this path. Or no, you, you don't understand. Or no, I want to do it my way. I got myself into this problem. I got to figure my way out. Well, Gomer could have never figured her way out of it. She was stuck. She was ruined. She was destroyed. And so are we without God. And so it comes to... Us saying, I am humble and I accept your grace that you can do for me what I can never do for myself. And we anticipate that God loves us and cares for us that much. That Jesus has come and he will come again. We anticipate that. That's the anticipation of Christmas. So we fast forward 800 years, all the way to the time of Mary. And Israel is still suffering The players are different, but many of the sufferings are the same. They're ruled by an evil empire. The Romans rule with an iron fist, and they're taxing them to death. Some historians say they were taxed as much as 80% of all their wealth. So all of them are living in poverty. You know, it's one of those deals where, you know, maybe Caesar's only taxing 40%, but the tax collectors are taking a whole lot of extra for themselves. And so the people are in poverty the, the Roman Caesars are putting out coins that say things like Augustus, son of the divine, smacking at the Jews, saying, you will worship me. I am the God you will worship. And so if you're a citizen of Rome, you're having to say, do I even really want to be a citizen of Rome? You're saying I have to worship you. And you get into all kinds of fights and end up people saying, Jesus, should we even pay taxes or not? How do we get through this? Because Rome was crushing them, and they were violent against them, and Israel wanted their freedom, and they knew they needed a Messiah. And so an angel came to Mary. He said, I have good news. I I can't, it just blows my mind. 
that Mary received that announcement. I mean, how many, ladies, how many of you would have received that announcement okay? You know, you're, you're 17 years old. You're, you're engaged. You're a virgin. And you're told, you're pregnant with God's son. That's your life. And she accepts it. I think that Mary so anticipated the coming of the Messiah that she could just obey whatever God told her, that she could accept good news. See, if you are anticipating the coming of Christ, I think you'll miss lots of the good news that God wants to tell you and whisper to you and speak to you. Mary was living this life of anticipation of the Messiah is going to come And he will free his people from their sins. And he will offer them hope in this life and the next. And so when an angel shows up out of nowhere and says, Girl, your life is forever changed. Your family might reject you. Your husband might reject you. Everyone might reject you. No one might believe you. They may think that you're crazy. And Mary says, Okay, I'm with you, Father. I trust you. How do you do that? You anticipate God's goodness in your life. You anticipate that even in the struggle, God cares for you and he's powerful enough to change your story. And even in the midst of struggle, you know that God loves you because you anticipate his love and his goodness in your life. Mary goes and she visits her relative Elizabeth. You may remember this story. Elizabeth is also pregnant with John the Baptist, we call him. And when Elizabeth hears Mary's voice, the baby in her womb, it says, leaps for joy. I mean, tumbles around. And uh, some of you women have felt the baby kind of tossle and turn. And this was out of excitement. And she says, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. I mean, that drips with anticipation. Blessed is the one who believes that God will fulfill the promise. That's anticipation. I don't know what you're feeling today, what you're feeling. I know that we have lots of Highland Park folks who are in the midst of sadness and sorrow and struggle and challenge and facing all kinds of odds, and you don't know how to get out of it, and you can't on your own. And today, I just want to ask you to anticipate the goodness of God in your life. I don't know if God is going to swoop in today and fix everything wrong in your little world. I don't know. He might. And we pray that he will bring you comfort and pray that he can change your situation. And whether he comes and like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego says, hey, whether God saves us or not, we worship him. I pray for you today that you worship him, whether he changes your situation today or not, or tomorrow or not, that you trust that God loves you and he is good to you. And he is powerful enough to do whatever he wants to do in your life. I was talking to a friend this week about the book of Job. And it drives me nuts that in the book of Job, God never answers the why question. Why all the suffering? I don't know. I could could spitball some ideas out of why God might not be changing your situation right now. But all I know is God says, trust me. Who else are you going to trust? your job, your reputation, somebody that you want to 
you know, get to know. Who, where, where are you going to go? Anticipate God's goodness in your life. This morning, I, I kind of want to just bring us to Luke chapter 1. Verse 46 and 55 through 55, if you want to turn there. Because when Mary finds out what God is going to do through her, she sings this song. Young Jewish girls often would have memorized the entire book of Psalms. And when you read this, you realize there's lots of Psalms in here that Mary uh, sings. And we talked about earlier in the book of Hosea, of all the reasons that God was upset with the people, the oppression of the poor and the vulnerable, and the way that people were unjust towards others, and how people had lost their humility. Remember those things when you hear Mary's song, because God addresses those things in this song. Listen to Mary's anticipation. Verse 46 of Luke, chapter 1. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. The anticipation of what God will do. We live in a challenging time. But it's a beautiful time because we live in this moment where we've already seen the first anticipation happen. That Jesus came as a child. It's already happened. That anticipation has been fulfilled. And now we anticipate his work in our lives and his coming again. To set all things right. To set all things just. That we don't have to get revenge because that's in God's hands one day when he comes. We don't have to make everything right because God will make things right. We have to live as he's called us to live in this in-between time, these two moments of anticipation of God's first coming and his second. He will come. We anticipate God's care. We anticipate God's salvation, God's love, God's peace, his work in your life, deep in your soul work in your family and in your friendships and at your work. Don't miss it. Jesus has come and he will come again. The name Hosea means he saved. And my friends, God comes to save you today. From your hurt and your trouble and your sin, he comes to save you. He was your savior. And this morning, if you need a savior, if you need to cry out for help, if you need to anticipate and renew your anticipation for God's work in your life, we welcome you. We'll have some folks up front, even during this next song, who would love to just quietly pray with you up here and listen to you. Or if you would like to come up just quietly after the service, that's fine. On your cards, you can mark that you would like to talk to somebody or study with somebody. We, we do that all the time and would love to pair someone with you to visit with you. If, 
If you would, would you stand and let's just place our hopes in anticipating what God will do. God, we, we stand in a collective group of sorrow and pain and struggle and strife. And yet also together as a church, we anticipate your goodness in our lives, your hope for us, your love for us, your compassion for us. Even though we were the bride who walked away from you, you came and you found us and you said, come back to me. And so for anyone who has not said yes, we pray today they would. We pray we would anticipate what you've done, what you will do, and your return. In Jesus' name, amen.